What's up, everyone? This is episode number six of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. All you non-basketball people that might be listening, I want you to hang with me for a few minutes here. I want to talk hoops for a little bit, but then I'm excited about today's episode because I'm going to explain something that you don't want to miss. I'm going to give a complete rundown of the current redemption lawsuit involving Panini. So I think it's something, not only is it important to basketball cards, which is the focus of this podcast, but it's important to the collecting community as a whole. So at the time of this recording, I'm looking at the playoff bracket here. I feel like there's a couple more interesting series in the West right now, but I want to just just do a quick rundown of the playoffs. We've got Golden State is up over the Clippers 2-1. Houston's beating the Jazz 2-0. Portland's beating the Thunder 2-0. Um, San Antonio's beating Denver 2-1. That's the West. On the East side, you've got Milwaukee is beating Detroit 2-0. Remember, there's no Blake Griffin. Um, You've got Boston, unfortunately, which is beating my Pacers 2-0. You've got Philadelphia, which is beating Brooklyn 2-1. And you've got Toronto and Orlando tied at one game apiece. So for those of you that have never collected during the playoffs before, and even those of you that have, I wanted to start it today since it's that time of the year and just give you a few reminders. And I know some people, they don't want to hear a lot about the money side of basketball cards, but let's be real. Even if you are a collector, you have to acquire them somehow. Okay, so sometimes there is some buying and selling that goes on. So I always have to ask myself when I'm purchasing, where is the basketball world focused? Because I feel like the best way you can maximize your collecting dollar is by buying things that are out of focus. For instance, if you collect a player that's not in the playoffs right now, maybe you collect Porzingis, maybe you collect Marvin Bagley, maybe you collect Carl Anthony Towns, maybe you collect LeBron. Now's a great time and you want to definitely look at the market though. I'm not telling you to go buy those players. I haven't researched all of them. But the focus is not on them right now. Now is the time I would figure to go pick those guys up. That's typically the case because people aren't talking about them. Their stock is low right now. That stuff should be available out there because people are spending their money on other things. A lot of the people that are spending money right now are looking at guys that are in the playoffs. So my suggestion, as as tough as it may be, let's say if you're a Spurs fan right now, do not buy Derek White cards. Unless you, there's some crazy good deal out there. Do not buy Derek White cards. Wait until July. Because I promise you, people will stop talking about Derek White in July. Okay, so don't go out of your way to pick up one guy just because he had a good game or a good series. So for instance, I was selling a Lou Williams exquisite RPA this week. Well, Lou Williams had a game where he scored like 36 points. I had a fairly high buy it now on it, and it ended up selling. It didn't surprise me at all. I had several offers on it prior to the playoffs, I thought he might do something. I didn't think he'd get 36 points, but I thought playing Golden State, there's going to be some focus on that series with the Clippers, and I was right. So the the more that you do this, the more you'll be able to anticipate these kinds of things. Um, So the LeBron market right now, because people aren't talking a lot about him, at least in a positive way, I feel like the LeBron market is fairly soft. Um, that's what now that's what made the silver prism craze so odd though even though his market was soft these silver crazes blew up so sometimes things don't quite add up but I also mentioned some other factors of that if you missed that episode it's episode three go ahead and go take a listen to it after you're done with this one 
But if you're new to collecting cards, I challenge you, I want you to track prices. Find one player you like, maybe somebody that's in the playoffs. Find one player you like and track prices over the next couple of weeks. Um, Use eBay sold listings to compare. It's a great time of the year to get a better understanding of how performance, exposure, and the team that a player plays for affects the market. Okay, so those are just some general suggestions from me. You guys can take them for what it's worth. So I'm going to keep following the playoffs, but that's really all I have to say about them right now. It is fairly early, but that brings us to our main event today, which is a lawsuit in Texas right now that's being waged against Panini and their infamous redemption process. Now, currently, when I say redemptions, maybe there are some people out there listening that don't know about redemptions. When I say redemptions, what do I mean? Basically, redemptions are, they're like white decoy cards that you might get in packs or boxes. They'll have a place on there where you scratch off and you get a code. You go online, you enter that code in at Panini's website, and then whatever set and player is labeled on that card, eventually that's the card you'll receive once that player signs it. You can choose also, now, well, actually, you're forced to choose between do you want a replacement, a comparable replacement after four months, or do you want one after eight months? Now, that's not the way that redemptions have always worked, but that's the way they are now, and a lot of people are really fed up with that process. It doesn't sound that bad in theory, but Panini has taken it to a whole nother level. But redemptions have taken different forms over the years to get us there. That's not how it started. As far as basketball cards go, in the early 90s, in 1992, Hoops had a draft redemption set. Upper Deck followed up shortly with the number one draft pick card, redemption card. It, obviously, Shaquille O'Neal was a big deal at the time, so they were trying to capitalize on that. They also wanted to get people those Shaq cards. So I think that's a great idea. We saw the idea of draft redemptions continue into the 2000s. That's why you'll see a 2002 finest LeBron James rookie You'll see a 2003 Andre Iguodala finest rookie. The reason for that is because they had these draft pick redemptions. I think that's a great idea. I think it's something that Panini should actually do this year because it could do two things for them. Number one, it could help them sell a lackluster product. Or they could slap another product together like Panini Replay where they take all the old redemptions, clear those out. And then they could get people that are really invested in this Zion craze because as I referred to in one of my last two episodes, people are already buying custom Zion cards out there that are on eBay, cards that people have created. So there's already a market for Zion and there's really no way for Panini to fill that market. Panini doesn't have a a license to his likeness just yet. So that would be a great way to fulfill it though because I think it's pretty understood that Zion's going to be the number one pick. Anyway, as the 90s progressed, there were still sets and promos that you could send in for and redeem, but we started seeing some sets that had actual autograph redemptions. Several of them were SPX. Um, Famously, you had the Michael Jordan and the Penny Hardaway autographed Hollow View cards, and you had several others that were inserted as well. So then in the late 90s, this expanded to more rookies and more unproven players. I know 1999 had quite a few of them. So I remember personally, I had a Ron Artest redemption. And then redemptions became a very common practice into the 2000s. For those of you that are out there that are still buying old boxes, number one, thank you. But number two, just beware. You might find some redemption cards in there. So as I said, this became a common practice in the 2000s then. It's no surprise that Panini, when they took up the license in 2009, the practice continued. 
Redemptions for missing hits have never been fun, so to speak, but over this last decade, Panini has really pushed this thing to the breaking point. If you're not familiar with the card industry, I'll cover some of their many transgressions in a little bit. For those of you that are familiar, I have a feeling that most of you are already fed up with this process. With that being said, I want to tell you that the purpose of this episode is not necessarily to create an echo chamber. I know a lot of you are very upset. I think that you have every right to air these grievances. But the point of the main point of this, even though you're going to see my frustrations come out, the main point of this is to catch everyone up on a very important class action lawsuit in Texas that's being filed against Panini right now. Because this thing, as I said earlier, or I alluded to earlier, this thing has the potential to make some major waves in the sports card industry. So, how did this thing all come about? It really started with an attorney named Michael Roche, who was also a collector of sports cards and memorabilia, and he approached a law firm about filing this class action lawsuit against Panini. Roche himself had had some redemptions that he had entered in, and he felt like either he hadn't received a comparable card yet, or the card that they sent wasn't comparable. He'd seen this practice take place time and time again, athletes not signing, Panini promising something and nothing happening, so he was just really upset with it. He knew a lot of collectors had gone through this as well. That's why he approached this law firm. Now, in order to move this thing forward, though, he he didn't want to be the plaintiff. They needed someone else because he's one of the attorneys. So they needed someone else for their case, so they started searching online for any other offended parties, which, mind you, is not difficult to find someone on the internet, number one, that's angry, and number two, that's a collector that's been offended by Panini. Of all places to find it, though, they ended up finding their guy, whose name was Kevin Brashear, on Yelp. Uh, typically, I'm, if I'm on Yelp, I'm looking at sushi restaurants or I'm looking at tire places. I'm not looking for sports card manufacturers, but hey, more credit to this guy. He put his complaint on there, and it's actually going to make a big difference. Not only that, our plaintiff lives in Dallas, which is not too far away from Panini America headquarters. This is going to come into play later on. So they ended up meeting their guy, and shortly after they drafted up a class action lawsuit, they delivered it to Panini, Panini's lawyers looked at it, nothing really came of it, they weren't able to resolve anything. So then on January 25th, a 48-page complaint, this is a formal complaint, was filed on behalf of Mr. Brashear and all the plaintiffs that he represents, because remember, this is class action. The reason being, and I quote, the repetitious behavior of inflicting harm on consumers, primarily through its, which is Panini's, redemption process. So I actually read through these papers, or at least I read through the main 12 pages of this complaint several times, and I want to give you the best rundown that I possibly can. And even though I'm not a legal professional, I'm going to try and break down some of this legal language as best as I can for you. As I said, they filed this complaint on January the 25th, they filed it with a jury demand, and then also the summons were issued to Panini. Summons are basically just the papers that say, hey, you're being sued. Not only that, but you're going to have to appear in court, and the court has the right to hear and then determine your case. As far as that 12-page document goes, here are some of the main points that stood out to me. Number one, one point of contention is that Panini states that it reluctantly reuses redemptions and also that they make every effort to exhaust all possibilities before using a redemption card. However, we know that redemption cards are actually very common. So even though they're using this language and they're saying these things, 
it seems like they've gotten away from that actual reluctance. Number two, Panini guarantees that they're going to send a comparable card in its place if the specified card is not available to ship within four or eight months, depending on what time frame is selected during the reservation process. Well, they stated in here, however, Panini has a well-established pattern in practice of failing to adhere to its delivery schedule and failing to send the actual cards within the redeemable time frame. Once again, if you've been in this hobby a while, if you're cracking new products, you know that this is the case. This is not anything new, but they're putting it here in the form of a formal complaint. Number three, they mentioned that the Better Business Bureau has given Panini an F rating. Well, I don't really feel like this means much, but I guess it can't hurt the case. Number four, they've stated that Panini places its expiration date on the redemption cards that is two years away, and they also say that this expiration date is defective because of, of how small it is sometimes or where it's placed on the card, or they don't give proper notice on the boxes, they don't give proper notice on the packs. They say that a reasonable consumer can't always know that he's getting in, he or she is getting into something with redemptions. Now, this argument seems pretty weak to me, but maybe it has some legs. We'll see what an actual lawyer can do with it. Number five, they said that despite the expiration date, Panini continues to market, distribute, and sell boxes or packs of cards that contain redemptions that are already beyond the two-year redemption period. Number six, We've actually already seen another verdict rendered against another manufacturer, which is Upper Deck, for this same exact practice. And I want to take you through that Upper Deck case real quick before I move on, because I think it's worth mentioning. Um, there's actually a really good Beckett article about this case, but it happened in the spring of 2012. There was an investigative TV reporter named David Bailey. He had some baseball redemptions, some valuable ones actually, that he hadn't received and he was fed up with it. When this trial date came on March the 8th, it's funny, Upper Deck sent a representative, but it wasn't a full-time employee of the company. So he already won just because of a technical default, because the state requires an employee to be present in court. The good thing, though, is that Mr. Bailey asked the judge to hear the case anyway, and then the judge compared redemptions to lottery tickets. And he said, on lottery tickets, at least you know before you buy what the end date of that game is. So as I said, Upper Deck lost, and then they were required to pay nearly $1,300 in damages and also $54 in fees. Why is that important? Well, fast forward to 2019 in this Panini case. Here we are seven years later. But we've got to realize that with anything in the court of law, if there's a previous case that's similar and they've rendered a decision on this, and there's a decision on record, then that really sets a precedent for some cases that are like that in the future. It's going to be very hard for them to rule against something when a similar court has already ruled in another way. So I think it's very important. I want to thank Mr. Bailey for actually having that case heard. It was very smart. It was more than just getting the $1,300. The impact's going to be a lot more far-reaching than that, even though it's taking place seven years later. Number seven, the document also mentioned that the redeemable cards are more often than not of players whose cards are in high demand at the time of receipt of the redemption card. So an example, at least a recent example that I can think of, is that Kevin Durant took forever to sign his cards. They probably had an idea that he wasn't going to sign for a while, and yet they kept putting Kevin Durant redemption cards in products because Kevin Durant is popular. Kevin Durant cards sell. 
So they just decided we're going to keep packing these out and people are going to keep chasing these Kevin Durant autographs. We don't know actually if they're going to be redeemed or not. We're hoping they are, and eventually they were, but it took forever. And then there was also an eighth point on there that I found to be pretty interesting. It says, moreover, the defendant's actions and inactions are intentional and outrageous. And they cited the DTPA, which is the Deceptive Trade Practices Act, which basically it prohibits a list of deceptive trade practices deemed to be false, misleading, or deceptive, which that's what they're attributing to this redemption process. So that gives consumers the rights to sue for damages. So that's just another basically legal act that's in their favor. So the actual complaint was filed in late January and word started to circulate about it on the internet in early February. People were chatting a little bit about this case. A lot of people maybe didn't read the specifics and I don't blame them because it's it's a lot to really sift through but a lot of people didn't read the specifics and they figured that Panini would just try and pay this guy off with a few high dollar autos and that he might take it but I don't think they realized the extent of his complaint. He's clearly pushing for this to be certified as a class action case and this guy's in it for the long haul. All of that is clearly indicated there. Um, so, and they even talk about the class action in the complaint. So I want to look at some of that information as well. It says in there that the plaintiff, Kevin Bashir, files this individually and as representative of all others similarly situated. They then went on to cite CAFA jurisdiction. Well, what is CAFA jurisdiction? That's the Class Action Fairness Act of 2005. And the gist of that is, if the damages exceed $5 million dollars, and there are more than 100 plaintiffs, which in this case there definitely are, then they can all be represented at once. So instead of a bunch of individual collectors taking Panini to court because the payouts would be so small for all of them individually, Mr. Brashear is going to stand in for them. In an individual case, Panini would just try and pay him off, as I said, but now they have to answer for everyone at the same time. They're going to join all the plaintiffs together. So who makes up this class in the case? It might actually be you and you don't realize it. So the class they define in there as the following. All persons who have initiated the redemption process for an actual card on a Panini's website and who did not receive a card within the selected time frame, which is four to eight months, and or persons who initiated the redemption process for an actual card and the redemption was rejected as expired. So I have a feeling that includes a lot of you. Now, what are their demands? That's what we're getting to. We have the formal complaint. We know who all is a part of the process, but what are they demanding? They had a list of seven demands. I'm going to cover just a few of them here. First off, they wanted an order that certifies this as a class action case. And that's what it, that's the phrasing that's used there. When it's, when a case becomes a class action is called becoming certified. Also, they wanted appropriate notice to class members to be delivered. They wanted all damages in an amount which is fair and reasonable. They wanted reasonable attorney's fees and costs. And they wanted such other relief as the court deems just and proper. And then finally, it says the plaintiff and the proposed class members demand a trial by jury. So that was all in late January. Panini returned the summons in February on February 11th. A few other small things happened. And then finally, on March 8th, they fired back with their motion to dismiss. In this motion to dismiss, Panini identified 10 necessary facts that they felt were missing from the original complaint. So that would be like the exact dates the codes were entered in, what players they were, what time frame they selected, and so on. Panini also raised an issue with statutes of limitations. 
which they're basically saying that Mr. Brashear, from the time he received these redemptions to the time he made the complaint, they're saying it was more than two years. His purchase was too old to matter and too old to file a legitimate complaint. Now, it seems pretty bold for me that Panini's all of a sudden caring about deadlines, but we'll see shortly there's an easy solution for this. Additionally, Panini claimed that this should be in a state court instead of a federal court because they're both in Texas. This is where a lot of the legal language and the legal strategy comes into play, but there's something called tort reform, and to simplify, basically tradition shows that in the state courts here, they're, they're more friendly to defendants in this case. So Panini's going to use everything they can to try and get an advantage, but as you'll see also, Brashear and his team have an easy solution for this. Panini's next reason to dismiss is just comical, because they want to use what somebody said in a comment section online. Yes, you heard that correctly. Wherever this was, if it was the Knights Lance blog or somewhere else, they're saying that there are collectors on there who are claiming that this redemption process is still legal. I'm sure you guys have seen internet comments before. They even tell you don't look at the comments, right? So this doesn't seem like the best place to grab a defense from. It makes me wonder, Panini, what, what's your next defense? Do you have a cat meme for us? Do you have a gif that's going to argue your side? Come on, Panini. Well, after this, they brought forth quite a few other claims, but nothing that was really seemed significant to me or humorous to me in this case. At this point, Brashear can either replead or amend his original complaint, which that's what he eventually did. March 29th rolled around and the plaintiffs in this case responded to Panini's motion to dismiss in two different ways. Number one, they opposed the motion to dismiss. And number two, they filed an amended complaint addressing Panini's raised issue while also adding a new party, which means that they brought another member on to headline this thing in addition to Mr. Brashear. And this guy was Christopher Kitchens from Florida. If you think back, one of Panini's issues was that both Brashear and Panini were located in Texas together. Well, guess what? Now there's a Florida man involved. We all know that's never a good thing. Another thing about Kitchens that makes him an ideal candidate is that his purchases were made in 2018. So whereas Panini was trying to argue that Brashear had a statute of limitations because he had purchased his stuff over two years ago, well, here we go. We have a Florida man who's made a purchase in 2018. So that kills that argument from him. It actually kills several arguments. Additionally, they addressed the 10 necessary facts that Panini felt was missing. So they specified when the codes were entered in, what players they entered in, that they entered in the default four-month time frame, and that they still hadn't received a card or an alternative in the designated time frame. They also claimed that as a result that they suffered economic and mental anguish damages, and they talk about how the cards they were waiting for have diminished in value over time. If you look at this entire thing, the theme here is, is really starting to take form. It's that it's just one giant bait and switch. The bait is being all of the Kevin Durant cards, all the nice, highly sought after cards that we all chase in packs, but the switch then is replacing them with redemption cards which were never really redeemable. I've mentioned a guy on here before named Paul Lesko who follows a lot of legal cases involving cards on Twitter and he gives his commentary on them. And he's examined this case and the order with which the plaintiffs have gone about arguing their case and he's determined that this thing is probably going to take at least three months to play out. Regardless of how long it's going to take here, the big thing is that it's clear that we're going to see this concept 
of comparable value litigated. Finally, they have to argue that in court. So Panini can't just come back and say, well, 150 points is equal. Now they're going to have to come up with a solution in front of a judge. So this case kept moving, and on April 2nd, Panini filed for a motion for clarification. Apparently there was something in there that they didn't understand. April 4th, the judge ruled that the plaintiff had until April 8th to file an amended complaint, and then that's exactly what happened. On April 8th, Mr. Brashear and Mr. Kitchen filed their amended complaint, and then the next day, because of that, Panini's motion to dismiss is denied. They've asked for clarification, they've received it, they have an amended complaint, so now every issue that they had has been contested. At this point, their case will proceed. Should the judge choose to certify this case and make it a class action case, it should move forward with the same judge hearing the case. In other words, I'm giving you the information of this case before it's officially over because I want you guys to be aware of what's going on. I want you to know that it could affect you and I want you to also know that it could affect the way that redemptions are processed in the future. We don't know what's going to happen. A lot of people really want to see this thing take off, but it's hard to tell. If Panini's on the losing side, then maybe redemptions will disappear completely. Maybe everything turns into points. Maybe Panini tries to settle with collectors and then implement a cutoff date. And then everything after that would become null and void. We don't know. Maybe they change the way they pack out hits in boxes. Or there'll be less autos in general. Maybe we'll see a rise in unnumbered hits. Maybe we'll see a rise in parallels. We don't really know. I will do my best to keep you guys updated. I have a feeling that there will be another episode about this in the near future, but I want to hear from you guys first. What do you think is going to happen? What do you want to see happen? Go ahead and drop a comment on my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast. If you've liked what you've heard today, please subscribe. I'm on iTunes. I'm on Google Play. Tell your friends about it. Share the link. As always, keep collecting. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.